Right, I'd like to welcome you all to this session. And this session's theme is all about low carbon. And so here at um, Learning Place of Scotland, we're here to explore the evidence and the benefits and the spatial possibilities of connecting people, places, and learning. And so the broader context for this is the climate change plan coming from Scottish Government, which sets new, really ambitious targets for 2045, being committed to reducing emissions by 75% by 2030 and effectively net zero by 2045. And what we're going to be talking about at this session is about the high levels of support and integration that we need in the planned investment which will have to take place and what will have the most impact and at the same time minimize resource use for us all and create great spaces for learning. This session is all about low carbon schools and we have two presentations exploring how passive house strategies can be used in educational contexts with quite startling reductions in energy use while maintaining internal environments optimized for teaching and health benefits. Our first presentation will explore adapting existing estate through retrofit, whilst our second will look at the possibilities offered by new build. We'll run these two presentations, one after the other, and then there'll be time for questions and reflection at the end of this session. So, I want to talk about our first presentation, which is UK's first Passive House Enerfit School. And this will be with Alistair Kidd and Sarah Lewis in Magnus Downey. Sarah is Research and Policy Director for the Passive House Trust, and has been delivering some of the UK's largest passive house developments. Sarah has many accolades in recognition of her contributions to UK low energy architecture, including the 2018 European Sustainability and Environmental Woman of the Year and Constructing Excellence Achiever of the Year. Sarah is also author of PHPP Illustrated, a designer's companion to passive house planning package, which is now in its second edition. Alistair Kidd is Project Planning and Resource Manager at East Ayrshire Council, and Alistair develops and maintains effective strategies for delivering the Council's capital programme. He's worked in partnership with colleagues and has delivered around £260 million of capital investment projects over the last eight years. And Magnus Downey at Ayrshire Council currently has responsibility for sustainability and building services aspects of the Council's capital programme with a particular focus on transitioning the Council estate to net zero carbon emissions. Magnus has experienced the last days of coal-fired heating through the age of natural gas and now leads the transition into low energy demand. Anyway, I think that's more than enough from me. I'd like to welcome our first speakers, Sarah Lewis and Alistair Kidd, on UK's first Passive House Enerfit School in Scotland. Thank you. Thanks, John. I'd like to think I'm back by uh, popular demand, having just spoken in this session previous to this one. Um, 
Can I welcome everyone? Please, my name is Alistair Kidd. I am the Joint Senior Project Manager for the St Sophia's Project for East Ayrshire Council, along with my colleague eh, Magnus Dewey. Before Sarah provides you um, with a lot more detail on the Innerfit refurbishment solution that was adopted for the St Sophia's Project, I'd like to give you some background and context to the project. Uh, originally, our intentions were to complete a typical refurbishment of the St Sophia's Primary School to improve its condition and to some degree suitability, with the aim of extending the building's current lifespan by 20 years or more. Whilst developing the proposals back in 2019, our team felt what the project presented us with a unique opportunity to consider alternative approaches to refurbishment that had the potential to drastically reduce our energy demands, whilst also making a positive contribution to our Council's climate change aspirations. Following some research, this led us to the conclusion that the building could be retrofitted to an Enerfit standard within the available budget allocation. This provides the opportunity not only to address future operational efficiency, but also provide an immediate and substantial saving in embodied carbon by utilising the existing structure rather than building new. For those of you that don't know, Enerfit is a name given to a similar passive house building standard when applied to existing buildings. Typically, Enerfit standards are incorporated into deep retrofit projects on existing buildings and will incorporate high levels of continuous insulation combined with airtight membranes to transform the energy efficiency of an existing building. To gain Enerfit certification, the EUI for heating and cooling must be reduced to 25 kilowatt hours per metre square per annum or less. St Sophia's Primary School is a small 1950s building located in Galston, Ayrshire, serving the denominational catchment of the Irvine Valley. The existing building was rated in a C condition as per the most recent school estate management plan and has a current role of 95 pupils. The building is made up of a number of single and two-storey elements that incorporate a number of level changes that detrimentally impact on the accessibility and usability of the internal spaces. The building itself sits within a site of approximately 1.8 acres with access to the school currently down a steep access road. Existing classrooms also have limited direct access to external space. Uh, delivering to a, a deep retrofit to an, an Enerfit standard will, to all intents and purposes, result in a new school, albeit working within the existing footprint and structure. All internal and external spaces will be extensively refurbished, with significant improvements in terms of the energy performance of the building and its carbon emissions overall. The project also gives us the opportunity to rationalise and improve the existing layout of the building in terms of its suitability to ensure this is fit for purpose and remains aligned with 21st century learning and teaching. As well as extensively refurbishing the existing buildings and constructing some minor extensions to improve accessibility and enhance learning and teaching spaces, the project also aims to make some improvements to external areas. This includes uh, the relocation of the main entrance, improvements in public realm spaces, including the creation of a new visitor car park, an accessible walkway and enhanced teaching spaces directly accessible from classrooms. The Enerfit refurbishment of St Sophia's Primary School is not only an exciting opportunity for East Ayrshire Council's team to pilot and test new building techniques that we can replicate on future refurbishment projects, but as the first Enerfit refurbishment of its type in the UK, it provides a, a unique opportunity for shared learning across the public sector. East Ayrshire Council is committed to this shared learning approach 
and we have been developing links with a number of our public sector colleagues across Scotland to both share what we are doing and to learn from their own experiences with similar projects. There is a real willingness amongst our community of local authorities to learn, and we encourage any like-minded colleagues to get in contact if they are interested in sharing with the work that we are doing. The Enerfit refurbishment of St Sophia's Primary School has also presented East Ayrshire Council with a unique opportunity to pilot and test these new building techniques with the aim of replicating these on future refurbishment projects. Our recent climate change strategy approved by East Ayrshire Council in June 2021 underpinned this commitment with a key priority being the adoption of a fabric-first approach to the refurbishment of existing buildings on a basis that is consistent with the principles of Enerfit incorporating zero direct emissions heating systems and renewable technologies and to develop a destination modelling toolkit for all of our existing buildings to support our commitment as a local authority to achieve net zero by 2030. Lastly, it should be acknowledged that whilst the Council's own team promoted the delivery of the Saints of Eyes project to an NFIT standard, we need the support in this and we need the support from experts in this field. To do this, East Ayrshire Council procured the services of Hampson Baron Smith and in particular Sarah Lewis, who has a proven track record of delivering similar NFIT projects. Sarah has been instrumental in getting this project to the stage it is currently at. And with that, I'm going to hand over to Sarah. Thank you very much, Alistair. So today, um, I was introduced as being Policy and Research Director at the UK Passivers Trust, which I am, but today I'm here in my other hat um, as a Sustainability and Passivers Consultant for Hampson, Barron and Smith. So the Enerfit standard, just to briefly kind of cover the term off in case people are not so familiar, is effectively the same as the Passive House standard in that it's got the same five key principles, but it's slightly adjusted to accommodate the extra complexity of retrofit projects. So as with the full Passive House standard, the building will need to have a continuous thermal envelope. It needs to carefully balance the solar gain that you can get through the windows in the winter and control that solar gain in the summer to create kind of an optimum comfort level in the school. It needs to prioritize thermal bridge-free detailing as far as practical with an Enerfit that is particularly challenging. And it needs to also be completely draft-free. So it needs to be an airtight building. And again, in a retrofit, that's really challenging. And that's one of the areas where the standard is slightly relaxed from the full Passive House Classic standard. And then finally, to provide the very optimum in terms of uh, health and uh, air quality, you need to have ventilation, which is uh, delivered through uh, fresh filtered air with heat recovery, which we refer to as MVHR. And most importantly, as with all Passive House projects, the building has to be modelled in the Passive House planning package, the PHPP. And that is how we help to eliminate the performance gap by really understanding the building's energy use. So this is just to show that the Enerfit standard is a worldwide standard. It's appropriate anywhere in the world with the standard adjusted slightly to suit the particular climate. The UK falls into the cool temperate zone. And there's two different methods for meeting the Enerfit standard. One is the heat demand method, which sets a total heating energy at 25 kilowatt hours per meter squared per annum for the building. And another way is to go down the component method. Both methods um, result in a certified building, and both are appropriate uh, in different scenarios. The component method effectively says that the building as it exists is so complex that it would be very difficult to meet that heat demand target, even once you'd brought the fabric before 
performance up to passive house levels. With the St. Sophia's project, we have aimed for the 25 kilowatt-hours per meter squared per annum, so we're going for the heat demand method. Both of those methods can be combined with a step-by-step -step approach. At East Ayrshire, they had the opportunity to do a full decant of the school, so we're going to be doing the project as a one-hit project. But when we're looking at retrofitting all of the non-domestic buildings we have in Scotland before 2045, um, and again, all of the millions of homes we have, that's not going to be appropriate for all projects. And actually, to tie in with the um, asset management of different local authorities or people who own large numbers of buildings, we might be looking at this step-by-step -step method, which is where you carry out individual measures and end up with the benefit at the end. And that requires... Uh, it requires you to make sure you do all the upfront modeling in advance so that you don't lock in poor performance as you go through that process and that each measure you carry out during your retrofit supports the future one. And the step-by-step -step method really is a, it's, it's an affordable way to uh, decarbonize buildings because every element of a building at some point in the future is going to be need replaced. So if we wait for that replacement cycle to come up, and we make that interfit measure at the point that replacement was required anyway, the uplift for the interfit performance is relatively small, so it's easier to finance um, when you're looking at statewide plans. But um, the critical thing to remember is to plan out the full interfit in advance, because every time you update one element of a building, you're affecting change. So for example, if you did external wall insulation, which is a common retrofit measure, but you didn't improve the ventilation, you could actually result in a building which is less healthy to be in than before the retrofit measure. So you have to be very careful that you do not uh, make the situation worse when you're doing a step-by-step -step retrofit. And I include this slide just because it's a project I worked on when I was at Bear Architects back in 2009. And it's just to say that, well, it's a spot the interfit. I'm hoping everybody can do that. Um, but this was a project which we worked on a long time ago. And it's just to show that this is not new. The standard has been around for a long time. And it's been being delivered in the UK. There just hasn't been the incentive to really go for it at scale. And I feel like that has changed recently. And we're seeing this real exciting uplift in interfit projects. And this slide, I forgot to tell Archetype we were including in the presentation today. So John may well be presenting the same slide shortly. But this is one of Architects, uh, Archetype's um, graphs, and it's looking specifically at that air quality, and it's saying that in an existing 1970s school, the CO2 level, which is a good proxy for air quality, goes very high, especially in the winter months, up to 5,000 parts per million, which is an unhealthy level. We all probably remember from hearing on the news about the importance of CO2 as a proxy for air quality with COVID, and this requirement to keep those levels in schools below 1,000 parts per million. You can see that the building regulation compliance school, again, actually it's almost as bad as the 1970s school in terms of air quality because it was relying on natural ventilation. Whereas the Passive House School with the mechanical ventilation with heat recovery sits well below that um, 1,500 parts per million recommendation and actually um, around the 1,000 parts per million recommendation for COVID. And then this is an interesting graph. I'm not going to leave it probably up on the screen long enough for you really to get a good grasp of what it's showing, but it's looking at the impact uh, of CO2 levels on human cognitive function. And effectively, what it's showing is that at levels of above, um, above 2,500 parts per million, you're getting significant cognitive impairment in these uh, key areas like decision making. And it, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is that then an appropriate learning environment for our children?
I would like to think no. I think we can do better. And then the the um, obviously one of the approaches that since I, since Sophia's and Eastershire Council could have gone down was to say, well, you know what, this building needs so much work; it really is um, ready for a full retrofit. Is it better just to knock it down and start again? And when you look at a building regulation compliant building, you can see that the this is the total carbon pile of a building effectively shown here. And 67%, so all the yellow stuff, is operational energy. So that is the thing we've got to focus on. And that's what Passive House and Enerfit do so well. But when you get to a very low energy building, as you can see, the whole pie has shrunk a lot. So that's good. But now the embodied carbon is actually a bigger portion of the pie because our operational carbon is so low. So we've got to think retrofit first, especially in a climate emergency where we have to think really carefully about all of our finite resources resources. And then this is the current energy split at St. Sophia's. So you can see the dark red on that pie is showing the space heat demand. And that is the bit which the Enerfit standard is really tackling, where all the energy in that school is currently going, the space heating. And you can see the existing space heat demand. And that's by bills, not prediction. And you can see the, the expected proposed building um, space heat demand being an 88% reduction, so really marked reduction in the space heating demand. So how do we do this? So the Enerfit approach is to retain the existing structure and external fabric of the building as far as possible. And that is where most of our embodied carbon is in a new build, in the substructure and the superstructure. So we are trying to capture that embodied carbon rather than tearing the school down. But then we need to wrap it up in effectively like a cozy jumper to stop all the heat that we're going to be putting into the building from escaping. As a part of that, as part of the Enerfit approach, what we have the opportunity to do is look at where the heat loss is in the existing building. And we could see that the actual shape of the existing building was not very efficient. There were loads of funny little design quirks, I assume, that they were there for a design reason. Some architect put them in before we realized the importance of uh, low energy design. So lots of little bits that pulled out, that, that, um, that recessed in, lots of different roofs, lots of different floor levels. So we looked at the very early stages using the Passive House software at ways that we could rationalize the build envelope and actually try to smooth it out to prevent all those heat losses, which also will make the, the building work easier because we're removing a lot of the complexities that they would have to deal with in terms of thermal bridging and air tightness. And this is just looking at the roof plan. I think our proposed roof plan is now slightly more complicated. But you can see that for a relatively small primary school, there were nine different roof areas, which just seemed insane for effectively a single story building. So we are rationalizing that down to sort of four or five, which makes a, a big difference to how easy this building is going to be to retrofit. And then you, of course, have to make sure that the building is airtight. It needs to be draft free. Otherwise, we're just going to lose all the heat in the building through uncontrolled drafts. And also, if we don't have an airtight building, we're probably naturally ventilating, which means that we're relying on fairly uncontrolled um, infiltration for our fresh air quality. So as part of the sort of research we were doing on the existing building, we got some smoke during a pressure test and we put it in the sole and underneath the building. And the top image there is showing you how the smoke was just pouring in through the skirting boards. So obviously that was forced because we were doing a pressure test at the time in the school, but that's the kind of drafts that the, the children are normally dealing with, cold air flooding in at their feet. The next element of the, the retrofit is to think about how we can maximize 
the solar gain when we want it in the winter and how we can control it in the summer. Um, the existing school had these huge east, east orientated windows, which actually for a school is really challenging because effectively you're going to, in the summer when the sun angle is low, you've got the, the low sun coming in and preheating the classrooms before the children come in, right when you don't want the building to be super hot. So the, there was lots of rationalization about the, where the windows were. So some of them were going to be covered up with a priority of south-facing windows, which we could easily shade, and north-facing windows for daylighting. And then, of course, we have to prioritize this healthy, fresh air. And we have that through the mechanical ventilation system. And then this is the kind of underlying philosophy of Passive House. This is the existing building on the left, but in a way this could be a new build too because they have a lot of heat losses through the fabric. So the losses on the far left um, are the losses through the ventilation. Each color means a different part of the building effectively. So some's the ventilation, some's the walls, the, the roof, the floor. And then on the gains on the right are how we balance that to have a healthy, comfortable internal temperature. So the gains are solar, which is the yellow bar. Orange is the internal gain, so that's the children who are in the school and all the equipment. But as you can see, there is a huge amount that the heating system has to do. And as we are trying to decarbonize, it feels very impractical to be trying to deliver all of that energy um, through decarbonized electricity. Passive House, by contrast, reduces those losses so significantly that actually the solar gains and the internal gains from the occupants provide um, about half of the heating for the school. And then the heating system only has to do this tiny little piece. So that's the, that's the key thing that we're doing with this project. And then this is just showing how at a very early stage we were using the PHPP to test uh, where we could make big reductions in where the fabric heat losses were occurring. So the uh, existing losses are shown in the green bars and then you can see those arrows showing the reduction. And we could see that the roofs probably because there was nine of them, were losing a huge proportion of our heating and they were actually the worst element in the building. And actually, putting insulation on the roof is very easy in a retrofit. You're not restricted by head height. You're not restricted by the, the existing uh, footprint of the building. So we prioritized reducing the heat loss through the roof because that was an easy win. So we used the PHPB tool to effectively help us value that process so we could provide the, the best value way to get the energy reduction. Now, I'm just going to use my final two minutes um, to just go through a tiny bit on embodied carbon because it is such an important thing and I think it's not prioritized enough. So we worked with useful projects in a project which was funded by Zero Waste Scotland to do an assessment looking at whole life uh, embodied carbon, the circular economy, and also sustainable co-benefit co analysis. And I don't have time in two minutes to go through it all, so I'm going to focus on the whole life embodied carbon assessment. So there is no good industry guidance for retrofits at the moment, so we looked at the new build standards instead, produced by Letty, the GLA, and also Reba. And we took those benchmarks, we worked out the percentage of the building that's being replaced at St. Sophia's, and we reduced it down to create our own new benchmark, which um, you can see the St. Sophia's projects on the far right, and the good practice and aspirational benchmarks are next to it. So we sit between good practice and aspirational, so we had some work to do. That's, that's, we did this at stage two, stage three. So we had to look to see where those embodied carbon um, 
where the embodied carbon was coming from. And actually, 51% was coming from the MEP equipment, um, and specifically with the air source heat pumps. And I think this was a really good tool for us to have a dynamic discussion with the um, services designer about how many air source heat pumps we actually needed for the school based on the actual heat demand in the passive house calculations, which is a lot lower than the, the tools that they would be using um, traditionally to calculate the, the heat demand. And we have actually reduced down the number of air source heat pumps, so it's more in line with the passive house calculation. And then looking at the payback time, that's often something people want to know about, and this is the embodied um, carbon payback time. You can see that at the moment it's sitting at about nine, between nine and ten years. And as we look at, this was before we did anything um, in terms of reducing the MEP, so that was based on the, the previous diagram. So that's already come down and we're hoping it can come down further. But the big picture to point out, which is my last sort of technical slide, the big picture to point out is that by retrofitting rather than rebuilding, we are saving that bit in dotted pink. We're saving a huge amount of embodied energy. So it's just retrofit first is the kind of takeaway message. And then these are just two final slides showing some of the elevations. And what hopefully I'm hoping you can pick out from these are the existing buildings at the top and the retrofits at the bottom. And it's just about how much of the how much has been simplified in terms of the fenestration, in terms of the envelope itself. A lot of this project has been just about trying to take out the complexity that had been designed into the project previously. Um, and that's the that's the fine oh there's one more image I think potentially. Um, but then that, that's the other elevation to the north, and that's actually the east elevation you can see on the left, which you can see the existing elevation had a huge number of east-facing windows, and that was one of those things that our calculations showed needed to be reduced. Um, but we were able to maintain excellent daylighting in the classrooms. And then that's just a 3D image of the school from the front, and this is it from, from the south side. Um, I, you know, this was at stage three, it's being developed, we're looking at different external shading devices at the moment, so that's a kind of ongoing part of the design work. But I'm going to stop there because I'm one minute over, um, and I'm going to hand over to Jonathan from Arch or I'm going to hand back probably to John. Yep. Okay. I'd like to thank um, Alistair and Sarah. And we're now going to move on to our second presentation for this session, which is called Climate Emergency, Responding to a Call for Action in Edinburgh Schools. And Jonathan Hines is going to give this presentation. And Jonathan is Managing Director of Archetype. With a commitment to life-enhancing architecture, he has led the development of Archetype's approach to sustainability, including the introduction of Passive House to the UK. Jonathan's work with the Scottish Futures Trust in Edinburgh City Council led to Archetype being highly commended in the Architects' Journal Practice of the Air Award. He's chair of Passive House Trust Scotland Committee and was named one of the top 50 people influencing sustainable development in the UK. So, Jonathan Hines. Okay, thank you very much. Very nice to be here. Um, so Archetype is working uh, from offices in Edinburgh, Hereford and London throughout the UK. Uh, and we've been specialising in sustainable design for more than uh, 30 years with, for the last 10, 12 years, a, a big emphasis on Passive House. 
Um, we've delivered over those 30 years and currently a, a large range of Pacifas projects and the ones highlighted in yellow are the ones currently we're uh, delivering in uh, Scotland. Pacifas projects we've delivered have been very diverse in scale and uh, sectors, uh, but a, a large proportion of those have been school projects, such as uh, these primary schools in uh, Wolverhampton and the UK's first Pacifas secondary school uh, down in uh, London Borough of Sutton uh, in, in London. But uh, as was introduced, the focus here is on responding to City of Edinburgh's uh, aspirations uh, and the solution that we developed uh, with them. So as a local authority, as, as many local authorities have done uh, in response to Scottish Government's uh, net zero greenhouse tar gas target for 2045, they set an ambitious uh, citywide net zero operational CO2 target of 2030. And uh, the graph that they've got there, you can see, requires a massive reduction uh, in, in uh, CO2 emissions uh, in a very uh, short time. So that sets a, 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 an ambitious uh, agenda. At the same time, as everyone's acutely aware, uh, they had uh, the issue of the, the school's failures uh, on their PPP projects. And, and this led to uh, a very, very big focus on the quality agenda. So they saw Passive House as a response to that. They also found that many recent uh, secondary schools were being wind-washed, so badly airtight that actually in mild, windy winters, they were actually finding the buildings were cooler inside uh, than in an unwindy, cold winter because there's so much air infiltration caused by poor uh, air tightness. And they were finding they were getting high heating bills with uh, new schools costing more to heat than existing school buildings, which you can see on this graph. Uh, from left to right uh, is the uh, gas and electricity consumption, uh, starting with the oldest Victorian schools right through to the, the three, uh, to the sort of uh, towards the right uh, being the most recent schools, who actually have the greatest energy consumption per square metre uh, of all their schools. So. The, the picture was getting worse, not better. And then just right on the right there is the equivalent energy consumption on a, on a passive house school to compare by. So for them, it was a no-brainer, uh, really, to, to respond both to the quality agenda, the energy agenda, uh, and also the comfort agenda. We worked with the city a few years ago on doing a very big POE study of three recently uh, completed secondary schools and uh, found quite serious issues uh, of uh, uh, overheating and poor air quality, which I will come back to. And again, they saw Passive House as a solution uh, to that. And then, of course, uh, the Scottish Future Trust set the, uh, the LEAP programme metric of 67 kilowatt hours per metre uh, per year uh, as uh, a requirement for funding and delivering this over 25 years. Uh, and uh, whilst people are trying to meet this metric in a number of ways, Pacifast is the only quality sure guaranteed way that the metric will be uh, delivered. So that was another reason for Edinburgh uh, to specifically adopt Pacifast, as other local authorities, including East Ayrshire, are, are, are now uh, doing. I just want to touch on some of the challenges uh, in designing good quality educational buildings that have come out uh, of our POE post-occupancy evaluation work in Edinburgh and, and elsewhere. Um, Sarah's touched on the impact of 
the classroom environment on, on health and learning, so I won't dwell on this in great detail, but indoor air pollution, inadequate ventilation, high CO2 levels, dampness and microbiological factors, increased particulate levels, increased NOx levels, and overheating in summer all have very direct impact on people's health and well-being and their ability to concentrate and think. And I think we can all uh, remember that Friday afternoon uh, English lesson where you struggled to stay uh, awake. You thought it was a boring teacher, but it might actually have been really bad air quality and a boring teacher, maybe. Um, <clears throat> this is a graph from one of those recently completed Edinburgh secondary schools uh, showing CO2 levels uh, in a number of uh, uh, school days. And you can see quite shockingly, those CO2 levels are peaking quite regularly at three and a half, four thousand parts per million. Under Building Bulletin 101, we should be at below 1,500 and averaging a thousand, so quite uh, shocking. There are a number of challenges created by uh, school. Uh, you've got high occupancy, classroom occupation densities, you've got uh, outdoor air, which is often polluted in city, and you've got external noise. That leads to all sorts of challenges in terms of uh, the risk of summertime overheating, uh, air pollution in, inside, uh, window opening not always being a possibility if there's noise and pollution outside needing high uh, ventilation rates and potentially high heat loss rates in, in winter. All of those things uh, would, in, in, in any non-passive building, will lead to a huge amount of energy use for space heating, thermal discomfort in winter, and insufficient ventilation rates. What Passivas does is solves all of that by recovering the heat from the extracted air, minimising heat loss through building fabric, as Sarah's described, uh, bringing uh, preheated fresh air, uh, into the building uh, uh, and using uh, MVHR. So Passive House helps to, to meet those uh, challenges. So what is Passive House? Well, it is an evidence-based standard. It's based on the rules of building physics, uh, developed from, there's no guesswork involved. It's developed from studying how buildings actually work and it's optimized using the evidence and monitoring. It's a rigorous comfort standard, uh, comfortable even temperature, constant fresh air and limiting overheating. It's a rigorous energy standard. Uh, it sets an absolute thermal energy limit of 15 kilowatt hours per meter per year and total primary of 135. It includes all energy, regulated and unregulated, and is guaranteed that the building's design process will meet the LEAP metric. It only really manages to do that because it is a rigorous quality assurance and certification standard. Uh, an external certifier checks the design complies with the standard using the PHPP, uh, and it requires, uh, the certifier requires evidence that the construction then complies with that design standard, including the air test, uh, rigorous air test, commissioning data and component evidence. There's nothing else that exists in the industry that so rigorously independently checks design and construction quality. Uh, benefits of that for schools is that it will, as these monitored buildings uh, of ours demonstrate, meet or improve on the 67 metric. So on the left there, you've got a primary school, on the right, a university building, another primary school, and, and another uh, secondary school, uh, London Borough of Sutton uh, Secondary School. So those are all monitored over many years, all demonstrating that this SFD metric is simply met. And again, more monitoring data. This is my version, or, or, or another version of the graph that Sarah showed. That's a conventional school. Uh, the three colours are winter, uh, autumn, and summer. You can see peaking at three and a half, four, five thousand. Uh, parts per million fairly frequently. 
This is uh, monitored in a naturally ventilated school that meets building regs and was BRM excellent. And that's the equivalent in, in one of our pacifier schools. So really dramatic improvement and averaging right down at the level that it should be at. This is further monitoring we've done more recently of particulates um, in winter and summer on two pacifier schools. Um, you can see there the World Health Organization short-term exposure and long-term exposure limits. Uh, the very tall, light-colored bars are the outdoor air quality, and the blue and the yellow are the winter and summer indoor air quality measured particulate concentrations in those pacifier schools. So you can see we're actually creating a really high quality uh, uh, or a big improvement in the quality uh, of the indoor air compared to, to outdoor air, and these are both uh, inner city schools. So uh, a brief uh, case study, Curry Community High School is City of Edinburgh's first uh, passive house uh, uh, secondary school project. Uh, it's one of 10 pilot projects being delivered to the, uh, the, the new LEAP uh, metric. 1,000 uh, students, uh, plus a learning resource centre with both community and school library, community cafe, uh, 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 quite a range of uh, shared school and community sports facilities, including a four-lane swimming pool and facilities, so total 12,750 uh, square metre building. Um, that's the school site. Uh, the existing school building is retained uh, around where the, uh, the playing fields are indicated to the, to the top of the, the north of the, uh, the site there. This existing school building is organised uh, into uh, almost a sort of version of a super block connected uh, to a, a sports and leisure facility with the uh, entrance hub in the middle, as you can perhaps see more clearly uh, on uh, this um, diagram here. Uh, as with any major school projects, quite a, a complex uh, spatial organisation task of uh, creating a whole series of shared outdoor, uh, shared indoor, uh, flexible hub spaces uh, with um, department. Uh, curriculum groupings that operate both horizontally and vertically uh, over the three-storey uh, 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 space. Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, passive house requirements, we're always aiming for a form factor in a passive house building of round about two. Uh, that's the ratio of external heat loss area to the useful internal floor area in the curry. We're bringing that in uh, uh, under uh, 1.7. Um, we've looked develop the design very, very carefully with north-south orientations and glazing ratios with a majority of the glazing on the north or south and limited on the east and west. Uh, triple glazed windows, overall fairly modest U-values at 0.18 in the uh, floor, wall and roof, uh, and that's achieved because the overall form factor uh, is uh, very uh, efficient. So we're bringing the heating demand in at under the 15 kilowatt hours required by passive house. Uh, overall, the uh, delivered energy is predicted at 58, so comfortably under the uh, 67. Because of the swimming pool, it makes it much more complex. We have to have three PHPP, uh, four PHPPs altogether, one for the majority of the building, uh, one for the plant areas of the swimming pool, one for the swimming pool itself, and one for the changing rooms, in order because they, they have different uh, comfort requirements. But we have to add all those together to get the overall performance of the building. Now, early on uh, in the project, the question was asked, is it worth bothering 
to do the swimming pool as passive house as well as the uh, as well as the the main school building and the analysis that we did showed that the energy savings from doing the passive house uh, 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 the swimming pool as passive house were so huge that if you dropped anything you drop it on the school and keep it on the swimming pool even though it's more challenging to achieve on the swimming pool but overall of course edinburgh uh, proceeded with passive house for all, for all uh, elements. Um, because I, I was asked to sort of cover uh, uh, some, some of the technical challenges uh, in this talk, uh, this slide is trying to just quickly capture the level of detail that you require to go to within a passive house. Because it includes regulated energy, you have to take into account all the small power requirements for every single aspect of consumption of electricity in the building. So you need to look at all the equipment that's being used in the building, all the timetabling of when people are using different equipment, and use that to uh, add it all up and then gradually bring it down to within the total primary energy limits that Passive House uh, requires. So just as a sort of uh, a, a, a lesson on a big secondary school, that's a big and complicated task that needs to be done early with a client fully engaged and then optimise all the way through the process because you can easily get caught out late in the day by not getting the energy for all those elements fully assessed and fully included. There's a big energy use impact uh, on that. Um, <coughs> Sarah touched on uh, the, the embodied uh, carbon uh, debate. Uh, Retrofit first should, should always be the case if it's possible. Uh, this obviously was a, was a new build. And early on in the process, we uh, did an uh, embodied energy, uh, embodied carbon assessment of timber, which is on the left, um, steel and uh, concrete. And you can see that if we went for timber, we'd be achieving a very significant reduction in uh, uh, embodied uh, carbon, whole life carbon impacts will become more and more critical to achieve as true net zero becomes the standard rather than just operational uh, zero. But that creates all sorts of challenges in the current market and the supply chain. Uh, it's very, very difficult uh, to uh, find a supply chain that can deliver large scale timber in, in Scotland um, and on curry and on uh, High School and North Milton Primary School, which we're doing at Perth Kinross. Uh, steel frame was adopted uh, for supply chain and cost uh, reasons. Um, so the council made a considered decision to focus on delivering the school within cost metrics uh, and uh, operational uh, energy and carbon, rather than for this project, thinking about the whole life embodied our carbon. So steel frame then creates a whole new raft of uh, challenges because steel conducts energy uh, so um, well. And 106 primary steel columns meeting a concrete foundation creates uh, quite a significant challenge, not to mention all of the other steels within the walls and other places. But just if we focus for a minute on 106 columns meeting uh, the ground, in the diagram on the left there, you can see we're actually creating a thermal break between the column and the foundation, and then we're insulating completely around, uh, uh, out with the steel itself, uh, with insulation. So thermal bridges, bits of the fabric that 
allow heat to escape <coughs> from the building are really, really uh, big issues uh, in passive house. So ideally, uh, we'd be keeping the thermal bridge requirements uh, down below uh, 0.01 watts. Um, the steel column junction would actually, uh, without any thermal bridge insulation, would consume 0.75. By the measures that we have made, we bring that down to 0.3. That's actually 0.4% of the, our total thermal bridge budget just in the columns, but we've more than halved that by taking those measures. If we didn't do that, then uh, all these things, all elements of the structure, all add up to take us way over the level we need to be. So that's something that has to be looked at really, really carefully. The other thing you need to look at is <coughs> that with greater thermal bridges, you've got more risk uh, of uh, condensation, and so that has to be looked at really, really carefully. So we model in 3D uh, at, to make sure that we're uh, eliminating the thermal bridges in terms of energy, but also in terms of uh, moisture and condensation risk. Uh, and with steel frame, you have to allow more, more, th more thermal bridge budget than other construction types because steel uh, transfers energy uh, so easily. So it's definitely possible. We're doing it on North Burton Primary. We're doing it on uh, Curry Secondary. But everybody involved in uh, passive school design should be aware of those challenges in terms of design and then later, uh, obviously, in construction. And we've looked very, very carefully at the wider challenges in terms of sequencing buildability, looking at how parapets are done separately from uh, the main structure to eliminate the thermal bridges uh, through parapets, etc. So looking very, very carefully at buildability and sequencing of every aspect of the work becomes absolutely critical. You can't ignore that uh, in a passive house as it normally is ignored in conventional buildings. Um, so uh, just a one of the pictures is turned around strangely there, but uh, this is just looking at the materiality in terms of the external uh, cladding and a few views uh, of uh, the building, which is currently at uh, stage uh, four detailed design and, and market uh, testing. And within the building itself, um, everything that you'd expect in a Scottish secondary school in terms of um, flexible open plan space, heller up staircase, uh, intermediate small scale shared spaces, traditional classrooms, different breakout spaces, all of that is uh, delivered uh, just the same as it would be in any uh, non-passive uh, uh, school project. So Maybury Primary School uh, is one of the three passive primary schools that we're currently uh, delivering with the City of Edinburgh. Um, it's a brand new school on a greenfield site. Uh, over near the airport. Um, it includes a GP uh, health centre as well as a 3FE three, three primary school, or designed as 2FE, extendable to 3FE primary school. <coughs> One of the interesting thing, challenges here was Edinburgh's approach to pedagogy, where they want um, each year group of three uh, classes to be uh, in one shared uh, class space with a series of uh, separate rooms and breakout spaces. So it's not three classrooms that can be, you can just ventilate very simply. There's a much more complex uh, challenge in terms of how people are using the space in different flexible ways. So that affects the sort of how the, uh, the, the, the 
open plan nature of the teaching zones has been ventilated. And then just a couple of uh, pictures of that. And this is actually being delivered as a timber frame building uh, with uh, timber, stud, separated stud, last and truss construction, and some elements of CLT. Uh, and so this is much easier uh, to deliver to Pasifas in terms of airtightness and thermal bridge free construction, but you still have to look very, very carefully at every aspect of the detailing uh, and make sure that that's uh, all thought through very, very uh, carefully. And finally, I just wanted to <coughs> show North Muirton and Bauhausie, uh Replacement Primary School, which we're doing with uh, Perth Kin Ross uh, Council. Um, quite an interesting site in terms of getting the orientation right, but we managed to organise the building to do that. Uh, and in this case, get to a, a form factor of 2.3, which is uh, you know, just within the realms of where we want to be. And again, looking very carefully at the uh, glazing ratios on different uh, elements of the building, uh, and again, designing it to come in under the passive house uh, uh, requirement of 15 kilowatt hours per meter per year. And then a lot of detailed work uh, done here, um, working very closely uh, in this case with uh, Robertson Construction to look at the sequencing uh, of all the detailing. I should mention that we're delivering curry with Keir Construction and uh, the Maple Primary School with Morrison Construction. So all three of those contractors are uh, really grappling with the uh, detailed challenges of, of delivering Passive House uh, right now. North Burton is uh, just started on site, having reached financial close, um, and a couple of images of that school there. So in terms of the, uh, the LEAP metric, these are the current predictions for each of those uh, schools, 56, 62 and 58. They vary slightly just because of the size and the form factor, um, but you can see all comfortably meeting uh, that metric. Uh, prior to the market going completely bonkers over the last six months, as everyone's aware, Hubby Central did uh, some analysis that compared the SFT metric in terms of cost per square metre with two recently completed non-Passifar schools and uh, North Muirton Passifar school. And you can see that Passifar school is slightly more expensive than the other two conventional buildings, but just under the metric. Obviously, now the market's gone completely mad. Nobody can quite judge what's within and out with the metric uh, and what elements of that are Passifar and not Passifar. Um, but it's reached financial close uh, and it, as it started on, on site. To do that requires rethinking uh, the design process. We need to move away from the traditional linear process of architect designs a building, sends it to the engineers to make it stand up and work, pass it to the contractor to, to build that. You really have to work in an iterative, collaborative, cyclical way where the design team and the contractor are looking at form and orientation, developing the facade design, optimizing the fabric, developing the MEP services, that then reinforces and you rethink the form and orientation and fabric and you're going through a sort of optimization design process together to get the sweet spot where you can deliver the building efficiently in terms of energy and cost effectively. So in conclusion, uh, I think what's great about the work of City of Edinburgh uh, and uh, that we're, we responded to and SFT's LEAP metric is that Things are being now achieved by action, by doing, not just declaring uh, targets, but actually looking for ways to deliver that. Um, <clears throat> these four uh, sort of sort of 
thoughts, guidance points, conclusions actually came from a client uh, down, down in Exeter. Uh, what he said was make passive requirement from the outset, don't try and add it later, build it in, immerse yourself in the project. Knowledge is the key, really understanding uh, what you're doing uh, by sharing knowledge together, squeezing out hidden costs collaboratively, the whole team working together, and then constantly teach and train. We can't afford to be complacent. Every aspect of Massive House from design through to construction is a challenge and we need to support and train and teach each other as we go through the process together. So the SFT metric I think is a game changer. Linking uh, outcomes to capital funding uh, is, is a stroke of genius. Uh, I've talked through City of Edinburgh's sort of journey uh, to Passive House, put it in the wider context of the quality, gender and comfort, as well as uh, meeting the energy metric. And so City of Edinburgh uh, committed uh, two or three years ago that all new school community buildings will be delivered to, the, to Passive House standard and currently have got four secondary schools, six primaries and seven extensions. Uh, and I think what's great about their work and the wider uh, influence of the LEAP metric is that our industry is upskilling Contractors are uh, upskilling, the supply chain's upskilling, consultants are getting trained, and a real sea change is now happening uh, in the Scottish education uh, estate, which I think is really uh, fantastic to see. I hope today I've shared with you some of the insights and experiences and challenges that there are in doing that, but I think together we can move on and now start delivering these uh, schools uh, over the next few years. Thank you very much. Okay, I'd like to thank Jonathan. Um, we've got a little bit of time for some questions. So who has some questions for the panel? Do you want to just go to the microphone? Thanks, John, and uh, thanks to the panel for that. Uh, my name is Eddie Reid. I'm from East Lothian Council. Just interested in the, the existing estate, and Sarah pointed out that most of our estate in Scotland is existing. Something that we have to do a bit, do a lot uh, to to bring bring ourselves closer to the targets that we've got. Um, so, just thinking about the schools and uh, the project that you've got on there. Um, obviously a lot of challenges with existing buildings and you've referred to some of the technical aspects there which are uh, quite scientific. Uh, just wondering what your thoughts were on the likes of the suitability of the schools. You know, if you're making a decision about, say, a secondary school and, and it has suitability issues, also may have a lot of other um, fabric issues which are not really energy related, but, you know, the likes of asbestos, SuperX, you know, um, just what comes up with your existing estate and your condition surveys and your risk assessments. Just wondering what your thoughts are on that and how that would be brought into play in terms of how you would assess uh, whether to proceed with retrofit or to demolish and rebuild. Thank you for that question. I'm really pleased to hear East Lothian Councillor here because that's where I live. Um, and if you want to see an Enerfit, a live Enerfit, I've recently uh, been Enerfitting my own home, which is an ex-local authority 1950s and terraced house, so you're welcome for a tour. 
Um, on the question of how to work out suitability, I think it's a quite, I mean, this is the East Ayrshire Council, and uh, in fact, Jonathan's been working, I think, with Edinburgh City Council on a similar challenge. It's, it's, it's making an assessment of the entire existing estate and then triaging which buildings are suitable for retrofit, which ones are not suitable. And I think that's, it's going to be a kind of, I mean, other people might want to come in here, actually, because this is the, what you guys are working on. But I think there'll be buildings which are more suitable, buildings which are less suitable, where the existing substructure and superstructure is in a state which can be reused even if it's effectively almost a new build, but if you can retain that, you're making a massive impact on embodied carbon. And then there'll be projects which you have to do in a step-by-step -step method. So if you know that the building's got longevity, if you can improve those elements, then you could do it in a step-by-step -step method. But then you've got to know what the kind of uh, longevity of the existing fabric of the building is. So I think it's quite challenging. I think that there's probably also a, a sweet point on when you would want to go for the energy demand method. And I think since Sophia's is right on that cusp, I think if it had any more complexity in its form, any more roofs that we couldn't rationalize, I think you'd be looking at going down the component route, which is also a really valid way to, to get an NFIT project. So I, uh, it's a really big topic. And I think these guys are all grappling with it as estate managers. Magnus? Yeah, I mean, at East Ayrshire, we're looking at it at the moment across the estate. And as you say, there's a lot of considerations. There's the structural integrity of what you start with. Um, asbestos, the level it's got. Um, but we, we've looked at it as a sort of a fit-informed approach. Not every building will necessarily end up a fully certified fit conversion. But I think it's still a useful tool to start looking at buildings and what, what might be possible and how far in that journey they can get. Um, I'm thinking especially historic buildings which maybe don't lend themselves to a complete certified interfit, you can still use it as a tool to get part part of the way there, and you still you're still significantly cha um, challenging the sort of energy demand of the building. Well, yeah. I would say as we're, we're sorry, Jonathan, but we, we're on a learning journey with with interfit and, and deep retrofit. Um, and there is a small community of us within local authorities. We've got a small working group um, that. Um, City of Edinburgh are chairing and we're part of along with Perth and five councils and we're trying to share the learning that we're all getting so that we can start to make informed decisions about everyone's estate. Yeah, I mean, the work we're, we're currently doing with City of Edinburgh on Enifit uh, is really interesting because they've got a huge estate, you imagine 400 buildings of huge age and, and typologies. <coughs> so what we're doing with them is they, they selected a, a 12 buildings which sort of represent the estate and we're doing a full benefit assessment of each building and then coming up with a series of interventions which start with do nothing, just replace MEP and do light, medium and a sort of two stages towards full benefit uh, of fabric improvements. So we can then on each of those options look at the cost impact of the measures, look at the energy and carbon impact of those measures in terms of uh, in use and embodied. We're then extrapolating that <coughs> across the entire estate so that Edinburgh can make informed decisions about how far to go with different typologies uh, across the estate and then see what they need to do to take the entire estate towards their 2030 uh, target. What that then meshes with is the FM programme so that they can then look at that and say, well, when we're replacing that roof on that building anyway, 
we now know we now know what we need to do when we replace the windows we now know what we need to do if we've got a budget to completely retrofit that building we now know what to do so it's sort of it's been called an NFIT informed retrofit program so it's using the rigor of an NFIT analysis to make an informed judgment as to what you can do on different typologies and different ages and different sector styles of buildings and that we started with Edinburgh. It's now that study is now including East Ayrshire, Perth, and Ross, and Fife, as uh, as just said, so that different types of buildings are being done by the different authorities. So that it builds up with a much bigger, growing Scotland-wide understanding of the existing state and how to deal with that, because that really is the biggest challenge, as you said, going forward. Any other questions? I may just ask a quick one then before we finish, and that is about um, Building Bulletin 101, which kind of sets new standards for air quality in classrooms, and I'd just like to ask the panel about the impact that that's going to have on low energy and net zero carbon school design in the future. Uh, I would start off by saying that, that the air quality requirements of Building 101 um, really push everybody towards uh, mechanical ventilation as opposed to natural ventilation. Uh, and it therefore means that what ASFAS does is uh, already, you know, it, what we already do is what people now need to do generally. Um, and uh, that has to be a good thing. The graphs that Sarah and I showed about improvement air quality, um, you really can't achieve that air quality without mechanical ventilation heat recovery. If you try and do it with uh, natural ventilation and open and shutting windows, A, you lose too much heat, and B, you, you cause uh, discomfort. So the only thing you can really do when you move to low energy buildings is combine that with proper uh, MBHR. Uh, people always hear about mechanical ventilation, I think that doesn't sound very nice, but if you describe it as a constant supply of fresh, pre-warmed air, which is what it is, it starts to sound really attractive. If you talk about natural ventilation, that sounds lovely. Natural, what could be better than natural ventilation? But if you describe it as what it really is, which is random, uncontrolled drafts, it really isn't so attractive. Uh, so I think we just need to rethink our terminology and to start doing it right. So low energy buildings in the future have to be properly ventilated. And building, building one, BB101 drives everyone towards that standard. Okay, well, I think that there's a very, very strong steer there for the way in which low energy building design is going to have to go um, in terms of educational buildings. So what I'd like to do now is, I think that everybody may be getting rather thirsty, is to thank our panel once again for a really fantastic session. So thank you, panel. <laughs>